uh, today. Um, I'm taking a, a break from preaching and uh, have asked our assistant pastor, Ben, uh, to bring the message today. And so uh, why don't you put your hands together and uh, welcome Ben as he comes to give the message today. Thanks, Brian. It was so timely that Brian uh, mentioned the cell phone thing, wasn't it? <laughs> Did anybody hear that cell phone going off? Okay, so uh, I do want to reiterate a few things uh, before we get into the message this morning. Spring of Palooza, if you are a teen, um, just really want to encourage you to come out to this. This is uh, one of those big events that we do each year that is um, just a ton of fun. We're going to do like a photo scavenger hunt, if you've never done that before. A lot of fun. Um, it's this Friday. And also want to uh, put in an invitation out there. We do need some more people for the fruit giveaway. Um, We've got some people, but we, we need a few more. And so if you, would, uh, if you would be up for it, we would love to have your help in handing out that fruit. And it really is one of those outreaches that we get good response from the community. So I just want to encourage you towards that. Well, it was a fine, fine morning in late summer as I pulled into the church parking lot. It was a morning much like any other. Um, I looked out, and the cones were all where they should be. Everything was looking beautiful, well-maintained, and, uh, except there was one thing that was different this morning. The, there was this van that was parked down near the uh, visitor spots towards the bottom of the parking lot, and as I was rolling into um, the, the, the lot, I noticed that there's uh, someone who was apparently laying down in front of their van inspecting the front of uh, their vehicle. And this was not an unusual thing. Um, we often have people who have car issues or, or you know, just need to find a rest spot, and our, our parking lot serves that for them, and they come and they you know, figure out what they need to do next for a flat tire or whatever. And so I, I rolled my car over closer, and I parked it, and I was surprised to see that, no, um, this guy was not inspecting his car. He was inside of his sleeping bag enjoying the remainder of his good night's sleep. The noise from my car had woken him up, and uh, I got out, I offered him a hearty good morning, and I uh, apologized for waking him up. I really did feel bad about that. You know, he looked like he was having a good night rest. Um, He was eager to explain his situation, and I was eager to tell him that it was okay that he had used our parking lot the night before. They had gotten in late um, the night before for uh, a Frontier Ranch concert. Um, Some of you may be familiar with the Frontier Ranch. It's over here, and they do festivals. And so they were coming in for the festival, and they needed a place to stay until the venue opened up later that morning. His name was PJ, and I was telling him, you know, he's welcome to stay as long as he wanted. Um, And as I was doing that, out of his van came his buddy um, who had traveled with him. PJ introduced him. He said, this is my friend uh, Huggy Bear. And I extended my hand to uh, welcome him. And uh, that he was like, no, uh, he didn't want to, he wanted a hug. And so, though I was a bit concerned about what sort of illicit substances might transfer from his clothing to mine, (laughs) I gave him a good hug. I'm sorry, I, I didn't catch your name. My name's Huggy Bear. No, I mean like you're, you're real. Uh, no, it's, it's just Huggy Bear. Okay, welcome, Huggy Bear. It is my... <laughs> you never know what you're going to run into here at the church. We have all sorts of crazy stories like this. Um, it is my standard protocol to initiate spiritual conversations with people who use our parking lot as a rest stop. Um, I, I feel like, you know, they've used our blood. I, I, can, 
I can talk to them about God. So uh, I pulled out a little gospel booklet out of my pocket and uh, handed it to PJ. I used my standard opening line. I told PJ, hey, I like to tell people about Jesus because of the difference he's made in my life. Uh, Do you get into spiritual things at all? Well, PJ and I had a brief discussion of his spiritual beliefs and my spiritual beliefs. And Huggy Bear, he just mostly stood there and watched us. He wasn't much of a talker, talking type. He was more just the hugging type. Um, I invited them both in for a hearty breakfast of youth group snacks and sodas, and they were happy to oblige. PJ and I didn't go very deep into our conversation. And part of the reason was because I was a little bit... You know, I, I felt a little bit bad waking him up and then you know, immediately talking to him about spiritual things. I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Um, but I, I also felt afterwards, and maybe you can resonate with this, that our conversation didn't quite go the way you know, I would have liked. Whenever I'm having a spiritual conversation, I have this deep desire um, to connect with someone else's um, needs, some of their deeper needs, and to show them how their deeper needs point to their need for God in their life. And spiritual conversations don't always go like that. With my conversation with PJ, I could tell that he had a little bit of antagonism towards Christianity. He, he didn't like the fact that Christians claimed to, to have, have a hold or a grasp of the truth apart from influence from other religions. And, and so I was quick to kind of move on in, in the, the conversation, to so just love on him and welcome him to our church and welcome him inside. Do you ever wish that you had better spiritual conversations? Do you often feel like you're kind of searching in the dark for where to take the conversation next when you're, when you're there? If so, that is what we're going to be talking about today. Here in John chapter 18, we're going to see how Jesus handles his interrogation by Pontius Pilate, an interrogation that ultimately ends in his crucifixion and death. And we're going to watch as he responds to Pilate's questions. And one of the things we're going to notice as we watch Jesus is that we're going to see that he's not focused on getting free. He's not focused on maintaining his innocence. The only thing Jesus seems to be interested in is talking to Pilate. Pilate is not Jewish, and he's not Christian, and Jesus seems intent on talking to him about God. It's an interesting scenario, and I think we can take away some principles from his conversation as we consider how we might be able to talk to people who aren't Christians and take advantage of the opportunity of a spiritual conversation. If you have a Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to open it up to John chapter 18, verse 28. John chapter 18, and if you don't have a Bible this morning, I want to let you know you are welcome to uh, head out of your seat right now, and there's Bibles on the bookshelves on either side of the sound booth, so feel free to do that if you don't have a Bible. We're going to be walking through the passage. It's going to be helpful to have a Bible in front of you, but I'm going to be reading everything, so if you don't have a Bible, it'll be okay. Um, So John chapter 18, verse 28. At the opening of our passage in verse 28, Jesus is being led from the high priest's house where he was interrogated over to Pontius Pilate's palace where he will then be interrogated. Pilate is the Roman governor. He is supervising the nation of Israel for the empire of Rome. And Pilate came out of his palace early that morning around daybreak to greet this crowd that is escorting Jesus to him. He says to them, verse 29, What charges are you bringing against this man? 
If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. Now, it's a bit of a side note here, but I want, I want to point out something here that demonstrates the authenticity of the Gospel of John. There are lots of people out there that will tell you that the Gospels are not reliable accounts of what happened to Jesus. They will say that it was written hundreds of years after the fact. They will say that the stories have been corrupted through transmission, and, and they're, they, they're all different than they were originally. A coworker of mine once suggested that Christians are like a guy who finds a book buried in a field... He opens it up, reads it, and blindly believes it to be true. And I want you to know that your faith rests on a lot more than that. There is evidence for your faith. Well, the Gospel of John contains countless notes that could only have been included if someone had been there and lived during the time when these things had happened. And here's an example of one. Many people have argued that if the Jewish people wanted to kill Jesus, they would have killed him by throwing stones at him rather than crucifying him. And the reason they believe this is is because the Jewish execution practice was typically carried out by stoning. They they would throw stones at people, and and that, that was how they killed people. Crucifixion, on the other hand, was a Roman practice. And here's what one online blogger writes on this subject. It's an example of the sort of thing you might hear. In John chapter 19, Pilate tells the Jews to take Jesus and crucify him themselves. They answer back that their law needs him dead, meaning that they want Pilate to kill him, even though they could have done it themselves. We are told that this answer scared Pilate, who was afraid of violence in the crowd, and that he killed Jesus against his will. This is absurd. The Jews would not have rioted since they could kill Jesus themselves by stoning. The gospeler is lying. This person's line of reasoning goes like this. If they wanted Jesus dead, they would have just killed him the typical Jewish way with stones. Since the Bible claims that Jesus was crucified and not stoned, the Bible is an unreliable account. And what what happens here with Jesus is actually an example of, of the Bible being proved right through actual historical documents. You see, sources outside of the Bible agree with what the Bible has to say. The Talmud, in the book of Sanhedrin, it says that the Romans took away from the Jews the right to impose the death penalty. And there was only a, a, a somewhat, somewhat small window of time when they did this. And it was right around the time when Jesus was crucified. You see, the Jewish people weren't allowed to stone people during this time period. The, t- the Talmud is a Jewish book. Its writers have no reason to agree with what the Gospels are saying, but they agree with what John wrote in his Gospel, that the Jewish people were not allowed to administer the death penalty. They had to take their case to a Roman court, to a Roman governor like Pilate. That's why Jesus was crucified and not stoned. If these stories were made up, they just would not have details like this. Nobody puts, you know, arcane, you know, archaic details into a fictional story so that they match up with other historical documents that a person wouldn't have even known about. So that's a long side note, but that's a side note uh, verifying the authenticity of the book of John. All right, back to our story. Verse 33, Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus to him, and he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, keep in mind here that Jesus had already been spat upon. He'd already been beat up. 
If, if anyone had a reason to be fed up and short-tempered, it was Jesus. Not to mention, Jesus was at a point um, in his life when he, he really didn't need to do anything. He just needed to go along with the course of events. His goal, remember, is to go to the cross and to die. So he just needed to go along with the course of events. He didn't need to defend himself. He could have been completely silent, and God's will would have been accomplished. But instead of being fed up with humanity... Instead of going with the flow and letting come what may, Jesus had his eyes fixed on what God was wanting him to do in that moment, in that room with Pilate. And what we're going to see is that Jesus saw the opportunity and he took the opportunity to have a spiritual conversation when everything else in the world said to do otherwise. I think Jesus' conversation with Pilate exemplifies four key principles for having an effective spiritual conversation with someone who doesn't believe in God. The first thing he does is he gauges the spiritual interest of Pilate. The passage reads, Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? To understand this conversation better, you need to realize that what Pilate's concerns are. Pilate's a Roman governor. He's been in charge. He's been put in charge of the nation of Israel. Pilate is responsible for supervising them. His job is to ensure peace, to keep the peace. And he's also been tasked with the responsibility of making sure that the Jewish people don't create an uprising or revolt and revolt against the Roman government. You see, the Romans were very good at the empire thing. What they did to ensure that Rome always had control of its people was to execute anyone who posed a risk at all to revolting against the Roman government. Here's an example of the sort of things they would do. About 30 years prior, a bunch of Jewish men who were frustrated with the Roman Empire had climbed on top of the temple, and they cut down an eagle that had been placed there by the Roman government. And when they were... The, the, the eagle had been placed there to symbolize Rome's control over, over Israel, and they didn't like that. And when they were caught, the Romans burned them alive. And the people who helped but weren't on the roof, they all got executed too, but just in the typical fashion, which, which for that sort of crime was crucifixion. You see, anyone claiming to be a king or wanting to be king was seen as a major threat to the Romans. So when Pilate asks Jesus if he is king of the Jews, he is asking a loaded question. A yes answer would mean the death penalty. The correct answer is no, of course not. Caesar is king of the Jews. Jesus responds saying, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? Essentially, Jesus is gauging whether Pilate is really interested in Jesus and who he is for the Jewish people, or if he is just asking the customary questions for someone who has been accused of treason. When you are initiating a spiritual conversation with someone, it's, good, it's very important to get a sense of where they're coming from. You need to know how interested in spiritual things they are. Sometimes you can be talking to someone about spiritual matters, and you talk, and you talk, and you share, and they will stay engaged the whole time with what you're saying because they are interested in learning more. But if you talk and talk and talk to someone, and they are not interested, you are going to bore them, and they're going to wonder, when will this guy stop talking so I can exit this conversation? It's common sense. Knowing where someone is at, engaging their spiritual interest, is going to influence how you approach the rest of the conversation. 
Here's what Pilate says, verse 35. Am I a Jew? Pilate replies, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Pilate is not very interested in spiritual things. He doesn't, Jewish Messiah, he doesn't know, he doesn't know these things. He doesn't care about them. So he asks, what is it you have done? He wants to know why he got woke up at six in the morning to judge a case of treason. The next step that Jesus takes in this spiritual conversation is he calms Pilate's fears. He calms Pilate's fears, and he does that by speaking more precisely about the situation. Pilate is afraid that Jesus is claiming to be king. The Jewish leaders already told Pilate how, he, how Jesus keeps talking about this kingdom of God, and Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, which is a king. And so, so Pilate has heard these things, and so Jesus explains a bit. Verse 36, Jesus says, "'My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place.'" Jesus calms Pilate's fears by making it very clear that he is leading a spiritual kingdom. He's not competing with the Roman government. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Many people have fears about Christianity that keep them from embracing Jesus. I want to take a look at some of those common fears this morning. Some people fear that when they become a Christian, they will not be able to live up to the Christian standard of living. They're worried that they're going to make mistakes, they're going to be embarrassed, and uh, they just don't want to embarrass themselves. This is a common fear that is based on the idea that Christians need to live perfect lives. And if you have friends who think this way, you can share that perfection is something that Christians work towards, but it's okay to make mistakes. You can share how Christians have a culture of grace where people make mistakes and we forgive them. And then, of course, you, you need to live out that culture of grace if you want them to really believe you. Some people fear that if they become a Christian, they will have a boring life. They will miss out on all the good and the fun things in life. They may share about how you, you can't get drunk on the weekends. You can't have casual sex. You can share how there's a lot of people who aren't even Christians who don't do those things because of the obvious problems that it causes in their lives. You can share from your own experience how you do feel like your life is exciting. Maybe too exciting. Maybe, maybe you've got too much excitement. But you can share how it's, it's exciting. You can share that Christians are free to do most of the fun things that people do for fun anyways. You can put to rest the arcane notions that Christians aren't allowed to dance or play cards. Those are not biblical prohibitions. Some people are afraid that if they become a Christian, they are going to become closed-minded. They're afraid they're going to become close-minded. They've heard and they've seen these Christians who adamantly hold to their views without uh, explaining why. They've, they've seen Christians who quickly reject their opponent's arguments and without, without considering their opponent's arguments for their merits at all. They don't want to end up like these mean-spirited, argumentative people. You can help your friends see how becoming a Christian doesn't mean you have to be mean-spirited. You can show them how, how Christians do not end the discussion on other faiths. In fact, of all the people discussing different faiths in the world, Christians happen to be one of the more involved groups in those, in those discussion groups. I don't know if you realize that. And the reason is because Christians believe that Christianity holds up to the scrutiny of reason, and it is practical for people's lives. 
We believe that when you assess the different perspectives in the world, the search for truth will ultimately lead you to Jesus. That's the Christian perspective, and you can share that with them. Many people are afraid of what other people will think of them if they become a Christian. They're afraid people will think they're stupid or uneducated. They're afraid that they'll be going against family traditions and offending their family members with their new beliefs. They don't want to be seen as a goody two-shoes or self-righteous. You can talk frankly about what sort of persecution you have encountered as a Christian. You can also talk about how you found that people sometimes respect your beliefs because you, how, how firmly you hold them, how you don't compromise in the face of, of antagonism. You can, share the, you can share what it's like to be different and still be at peace with who you are. These people, they want to know what it's like to be a Christian. They want to know, you know, how, you, how are they going to deal with all these problems that they might encounter? And you are in a unique place to share what that's like because you have been there. You have experienced these things. So share. Share precisely what it's like. Share the good and share the bad. And when you do that, they're going to they're gonna know that you're not just trying to sell them something. So Jesus tries to calm Pilate's fears that he is reforming a revolt against the Roman government. He explains he's leading a spiritual movement. Well, Pilate isn't totally convinced, and and so he says, you are a king then. After all, if Jesus has a kingdom, even a spiritual kingdom, then he naturally is a king. Pilate has just subtly, perhaps even playfully, accused Jesus of treason against the Roman government. So Jesus corrects him on the accusation. He responds, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He tells Pilate, You're the one calling me the king calling me a king. You're the one suggesting that I'm here to overthrow the Roman government. And by the way, if you're following along in the NIV 1984, the literal translation of that, uh, that initial part of Jesus' response um, is, is translated, the, the more accurate translation is, you say that I am a king. That's the, that's the most accurate translation there. Um, the NIV 1984 has it rendered differently, and they changed that for the night. This is all boring to you, isn't it? Now, NIV, NIV 2011, they came out with a new NIV and they changed it um, to the reading I just gave you. So you, he's, he's basically saying, you're the one calling me a king. You're the one suggesting that I'm here to overthrow the Roman government. But really, I came into this world to tell people about the truth. In the midst of a spiritual conversation, there will be times when the person you are talking with will accuse you or Christianity of deception or deceit. If you're not being deceitful, and you have to check yourself on this, right? You've know, you got to check yourself. Am I being deceitful? Um, if you're not being deceitful, then you need to correct their accusations. So Jesus corrects Pilate on his accusation. There are a lot of accusations that you are going to encounter um, from people who are challenging the Christian faith. People will tell you that Christianity was created so that spiritual people could rule over and control the masses. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, that challenge. People will tell you things like Jesus hated women. People will tell you that Christianity and science are incompatible, that they contradict each other. People will tell you that the Bible contradicts itself. People will tell you that you only believe because you grew up with that and you're blindly following what you've been told. 
people will tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. I remember one time in high school when a friend of mine, Keith, and I were having a spiritual conversation. And Keith wasn't a Christian, but he was kind of getting interested in spiritual things. And he was on this spiel about how Jesus never actually said the words, I am the Son of God. Keith was willing to acknowledge that Jesus said all sorts of things that, uh, that would lead people to believe that about him, that that's, that's what he was claiming to be, but that he was never actually quoted saying those exact words. I didn't really have any response for this except to think, you know, who cares what he says exactly if you know what he means, right? Well, I was reading my Bible one day because, you know, reading your Bible is spiritual weightlifting. I don't know if you know that. If you want to be spiritually strong, you've got you to read your Bible. It's spiritual weightlifting. And I was reading, and I came across John chapter 10, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says this, Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I am the Son of God. Now, he's quoting himself here, but he is saying those exact words about himself. I wanted to tell Keith right away, but this was before cell phones, and so I couldn't just text him. (laughs) I think I must have forgotten that I wanted to tell Keith because I didn't actually, uh, well, it was a few days later that Keith and I were in the library working on a research paper and having a spiritual conversation again, and Keith was back on his spiel about Jesus never explicitly claiming to be um, the Son of God. You can imagine the, uh, the, the excitement that was building up inside me as he was, was going on this spiel, run, and, and I let the spiel run its course. You know, proving someone is wrong is so much more fun when you've let them t- tell you about how they're right for a really long time. And so, well, Keith was a talker, and so it took a little while. But finally, he was finished. And I said, actually, Keith, Jesus is quoted as claiming to be the Son of God. And Keith said, no, 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 he's never actually quoted saying those exact words. I said, let me show you. And trying to contain the giddiness of my excitement, I pulled my Bible out of my book bag and opened it up to John chapter 10. I read it, then he read it. I wish I could tell you how Keith responded, but I was, I was so busy, I was so pleased with myself that I wasn't paying attention to him. <laughs> I know, I do know that Keith acknowledged that I was right, though. How could he acknowledge anything else? It was right there. I am the Son of God. Exact words that Keith was saying, Jesus didn't say. Jesus never actually said, I am the Son of God. I don't know where he got that from. There's all sorts of stuff like this floating around, crazy accusations of Christianity that just very simply are not true. They're just not true. When you have the opportunity to, you need to correct those accusations. It will help if you're well-versed in these issues and can kind of reference these things when someone brings up something that's not true. But here's what I want, to, I want you to consider. You know, if someone says something that you don't think is true, it is okay to say, I don't think that's true. Let me check on that and get back with you. There is no shame in saying that. Not everybody is going to just have this information ready to pull out, you know, with every single conversation. You, you, don't, you don't know all of the challenges that Christianity, you know, gives you and, or people give towards Christianity. You're just not going to be on, on your toes like that all the time. It's okay to say, let me get back to you. And then you can look into it and say, is this true? Is this not true? 
and you can respond, you know, more accurately. So Jesus corrected Pilate on his accusation. But the best part of Jesus' conversation comes with the second part of his response. Listen to what he says to Pilate. Listen carefully to what he says. You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What I love about this is what about what I love about this line is that Jesus is on trial. He's been beaten up and he's been spat on, and yet he is zoned in on sharing the gospel with Pilate. You see, Pilate, I'm not here to overthrow the Roman government. I'm here to talk about what's true and what's not true. And by the way, here is something I've noticed. Everyone who uh, cares about the truth listens to what I have to say. Can you imagine running into someone on the street who uh, says those words to you? Everyone on the side of truth listens to what I have to say. You would say, you would say whatever, man. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You're not always right. <laughs> this statement, you see, you see, Jesus, either he has some sort of unique connection to God, or he is one arrogant man. This statement is not really about sharing anything. Jesus isn't sharing an observation here. This statement is an invitation. Jesus is inviting Pilate to hear what he has to say. If someone said to you, everyone who cares an ounce about truth listens to what I have to say, you would be, your natural inclination is going to be, well, well, I care about the truth. Let's hear it. Even if, even if you didn't believe them, you would want to hear what they have to say after an advertisement like that. Jesus' statement is an invitation. And when you are having a spiritual conversation, there will be a time when it is appropriate to invite someone to hear the good news about Jesus. In fact, it's actually an indispensable part of having um, a spiritual conversation about the gospel. Have you ever been walking somewhere in public and someone comes up to you and they're uh, talking at you and, you know, and, 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 you know maybe they're a Christian, um, you know, because honestly, Christians can be some of the worst offenders on this one. Um, but they're coming up to you, they're talking to you, they're asking questions, and they're, you, they're, they're mostly talking and you want to get out of the conversation. So you're giving them the nonverbal cues like, I, yeah, okay. You know, and, and so you're giving them the nonverbal cues, but they keep staying with you. You ever had that, con- that sort of encounter where it's like, they are just glued onto me. They are not paying attention to the nonverbals here. Um, I think a lot of people have had that, that sort of experience. And I still believe that street evangelism is a viable way to share the gospel in the 21st century. But in this sort of case, what they're doing is they're being uncourteous. When you are talking with a stranger, or really when you're going to go into an extended period of sharing, um, you, and you're not really sure if the person is interested in wanting, in he- wanting to hear what you have to say, it is best to ask permission. It's best to ask permission. Could I briefly share what the good news is about Jesus? Do you want to hear what the main message of Christianity is? When you share and the other person isn't wanting to hear, your words are just going to fall on deaf ears. You're you're not going to get a hearing for the gospel. So before you share extensively, you want to make sure they're okay listening to what you have to say. It's common courtesy. So Jesus extends an invitation to Pilate to hear the truth right from the mouth of the teacher, Jesus. And Pilate responds with, what is truth? And with that, he goes out and tells the Jews, this guy isn't a, this guy's not guilty of treason. 
Well, not every spiritual conversation is going to end up in an interested person. It wasn't that way for Jesus, and it won't be that way for you. But that does not mean, just because you've, you've gotten to the end and they're not interested in hearing, doesn't mean that that is a failed conversation. doesn't mean you should stop having those conversations. Every spiritual conversation you have with the people around you is an opportunity for God to use that conversation to change someone's life. If you think about it, that's, what's hap- that what, that's what happened here. Have you ever wondered, how in the world do we know what, what was actually said in this conversation between Jesus and Pilate? How do we ever know? The Jews, Jews did not go into Pilate's palace on the, on the eve of Passover because that would have made them ritually unclean, so they did not do that leading up to the Passover. If you were ritually unclean on the Passover, you didn't get to eat the feast. So there were no, there were no God-fearing Jews in the palace at that time, in that conversation with Pilate. It was Pilate and Jesus and whoever of his bodyguards and those other people were. There are only three reasonably possible ways that John could have obtained this information about the conversation. Either Jesus told his disciples about the conversation after he rose from the dead, or Pilate later became a Christian and told the disciples about the conversation, or someone else in the room heard the conversation, later became a Christian, and then told the disciples. Now, it's possible, but I don't think Jesus would have spent his precious resurrection time fleshing out the details of his conversation with Pilate. I don't think it was Pilate, because if Pilate had become a Christian, I think people would have caught on to that, and they would have talked about it, and we would have heard about it. I think what is most reasonable was that someone else in the room was listening to what Jesus had to say, and they were intrigued by his words and his teaching. And Pilate didn't become interested, but this other person became interested, and when they later became a Christian, they were able to tell the story of how a tired and beaten Jesus shared the gospel with his interrogator. So how about you? What does a spiritual conversation mean for you? Is it something you're afraid of? I don't want to touch the religious topics. Is it an opportunity? Do the circumstances need to be just right? Everything falling into place perfectly, you you know, everything perfect before you bring up spiritual things in a conversation? Or does every moment of life, the crisis moments and the mundane moments, Provide an opportunity for talking about God with someone who you're friends with. Jesus went to the cross. He went through this conversation. He went to the cross. The reason was, was bringing people back into relationship with God. And right up until his dying day, he was fixated on that. Pontius Pilate, right there in front of him, was an opportunity Jesus died on the cross to bring people back into the relationship with him. Because of our sin, we've been separated from God. We are not able to have a relationship with a God who is pure and just. Because he is just and pure and he has to stay clean from everything that is sinful, we cannot have a relationship with him because of this thing, sin, in our lives, because of that brokenness that we experience. And so Jesus died on a cross. He took that sin upon himself so that we could come back into relationship with him so that we could have the life that he wanted us to have. It was always about the relationship with God. 
They wanted him to be right there. He wanted us to be right there with him. Not, not only in this world, but in heaven. He wants us to be with him. And that is what God is, is inviting you into today. We're heading up, leading up to Easter. We're going to be thinking about the cross and thinking about the resurrection. And I want you to keep on your mind that the cross is not just forgiveness of sins as this, you know, abstract concept. The cross is about people coming back into relationship with God. And if you do not have a relationship with God this morning, if you haven't committed yourself into that, I want to invite you into that this morning. I want, you to, I want to invite you to consider whether you have a need for God in your life, whether that, that loneliness problem you experience is truly a, a problem with, with your relationships, that you do not have the relationships you need in life, and that a relationship with God is the starting point to dealing with that deeper problem. I want to encourage you to, to question whether your problem of self-control in your own life, you can't manage your own impulses, is really, really points to a need for, for some moral guidance, for, for lordship and leadership in your life from a God who loves you and who will forgive you when you make mistakes and uphold you. Um, through your journey. If you would like to receive Christ this morning, I want, I want everyone to, uh, we're going we're gonna to pray, uh, and I want to encourage you to receive Christ um, as I pray. You can follow along with my prayer. It's an opportunity for you to begin that relationship. The reason Jesus died, the reason Jesus was talking to Pilate before he died, rather than just going with the flow of things. He did it because he loved you. And if you do not know that God loves you, then I hope that you experience some love from other Christians, some Christians here. I hope that you have felt his love today. I want you to think about the cross and what sort of love God must have for you to be brut- brutally beaten, to, to be killed so that he could have a relationship with you. So if you want to receive Christ today, why don't you pray along with me? Let's pray. If you want to receive God into your life, just follow along with my words. God, I recognize that I am a sinner, that I've lived life on my own terms. I want you to be in my life. I want to turn away from, from, lead, from following my own way. I want to receive your forgiveness for me, for my sins. I ask for your forgiveness. Please forgive me. I receive your lordship in my life, taking you to be my leader, to guide me through difficult times, to teach me what's right. And I recognize that This is not just a thing for right now, but this is a thing for now and going forward. I commit myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen.